Hello there, welcome. Welcome to Woody Baptist Church online service. My name's Chris, I'm the pastor here. And a, a warm welcome, salam alaikum. So glad that you've been able to join us today. I'm gonna to be continuing the, the, the series in Luke. God is really interested in relationships. He's all about relationships. We're gonna have a look at that after the welcome video. See you later. All right, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that. I am now looking uh, at Luke chapter 22. And um, I'll just let you know, this is the last session. I'm actually retiring as pastor in this church. And so this is the last online lesson, study, whatever I'll be doing. And um, it's a great one to finish because we're going to be looking at the Last Supper. So thank you so much for all the uh, all the times you you know you, you've joined me in this, and I hope I hope it's blessed you. And I would encourage you to go back into the Word and dig it out for yourself. Really, really find the treasures in there for yourself. Anyway, enough of that. Um, Luke twenty-two. I'm going to be reading from verse seven to verse twenty-eight. And uh, Lord, would you bless your Word? Let's go. So for verse seven. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves who of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table 
or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And you are those who have stood by me in my trials. All right. Yeah, let's pray that God will bless his word. Okay. Right. Now, there's a lot in this passage. And there are some difficulties in the text in terms of timing and different verses. And, and you know, the, there's a lot of information out there. But all I can say from my point of view is I've, I've looked at that, not in any great depth, but I've looked at that. And there's nothing that affects, the way I see it, the main points and lessons, particularly what I, I want to bring out today. And those things are agreed by most scholars. But it's just good to acknowledge that. I want to look at this text through the lens of relationships or relationship. Okay, so the Last Supper, what we've just read about, is, of course, a meal, another meal, but it's a specific one. It's the Passover meal. So let's have a think about that. What's the Passover meal? So the Passover meal, thinking of God's relationship with the Israelites, this was a key step. God initiated this. This is what he told them to do when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. It was to be eaten at night, standing up. They're, they're getting ready to go. It was eaten in a hurry with unleavened bread. Um, and as soon as the order to leave was given, they had to go. This is a departing meal. They were ready to go. Key part of this meal was that they, they ate a lamb, each household had a lamb. And the blood of that lamb that was eaten was put on the doorposts and the lintels. So when the angel of death came that went throughout the land and it saw the blood, it would not enter. When it didn't see the blood, it would go in, kill the firstborn. By New Testament times, this had become a very formal meal with elements in it to help people remember what God had done, how he had delivered them. There were a number of courses. There were four separate cups of wine. It needed a large room where people um, sat on couches or cushions. They lay up against the table as the pattern of that time. It all had to be carefully prepared to a pattern. This was quite a, quite a task. Also, this time, the, the meal really needed to be done in, within the walls of Jerusalem. People went there for this festival, the Unleavened Bread Festival at Passover, within the walls of Jerusalem, which is why Jesus booked ahead. He had made the arrangements, and the two disciples just needed to obey. He made sure that they did not miss the man who would lead them to the right house, as he was carrying a jar of water. That's important. Men never carried jars of water. Only women carried jars of water because they went to the well. Men never went to the well. Men would carry um, water or moisty wine in animal skins. So this would be unusual. They would notice. They wouldn't miss the guy. They would follow him. And there's a, there's a little lesson here. I don't think it matters. Some scholars reckon, you know, was this prophetic? Did Jesus prophesy all this? Or did he arrange it? I don't think it matters. Personally, I think he arranged it. But the thing is this, God is always working. He's always ahead of you. He goes ahead. He prepares. Just be obedient. They were obedient to what Jesus said and everything worked out. When you're obedient, when you go and you just step out, just look for the unusual. Remember, 
Moses at the burning bush. Just watch out for the unusual and follow God. Obedience is the key. Let's look at the next relationship. Jesus and his friends, the apostles at the table, this family meal. Right the way through Luke, we've seen that Luke loves telling us about meals. He's all about the meals. So far, there have been seven up until now. Think of the meals, all those different meals when Jesus was in different homes, inviting the lost and the least to come together to the table of the kingdom of God, a holy and loving God, that whole invitational thing, the whole gathering. And really, it's, it's all really leading up to this meal, in a sense, a family meal. Because although it was formal, it was a family meal. And I love the way that Jesus is going to announce the institution of a new covenant, a whole new way, a basis of relationship with God at a family meal. This is the moment Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, transforms the covenant meal of the Old Testament, the one that's come down through Moses, into the covenant meal of the New Testament, the new age of grace. Try to imagine what was going through the apostles' minds. This is a meal all their life they've been going to this. They know exactly how it works. It works, like I said, to help them remember the different stages. And then Jesus does that stuff in the middle. We'll look at that in a bit of detail in a moment. But that's where he steps into it and says, this is my body. So what? Messing with their heads. That's how radical. That's how radical this is. See, he'd been hinting about this right the way through. As we've been looking at Luke, he's been saying about you know, the Pharisees and the way they were so much about the temple and all that. And he'd been saying, really, the temple's going to be going. There's a new kingdom coming. The temple was not needed because a new sacrifice was about to be made that replaces, supersedes, and fulfills all the sacrifices that have been made over the years. This is the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb of God. Jesus takes the elements of the Passover and he uses them to demonstrate the new reality to bring in the new reality. This will have eternal significance. Let's look at this very quickly. The bread, all right? The verse 19. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That expression, this is my body, the, the Greek, what, it, what it's saying in the Greek is this represents my body. This broken bread, bread represents my body. He is pointing to what will happen the following day when his body will be broken on the cross and he will pay the price for their sin and for our sin once and for all. See, all the lambs that were sacrificed were pointing to the one. As John the Baptist said, here's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That strange expression right back, beginning of Luke. This is the Lamb of God who will be broken so his, disi his disciples can know God as Father, as can anyone who believes, who repents and believes in him. Then he takes the cup of wine, probably, maybe the third cup out of this whole sequence. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That again, that again would, would be what would happen the next day. A cup of wine, like I say, probably the third or the fourth served, and this would follow the main meal, like it says, supper after supper, which was the eating of the lamb, 
I, I, I don't want you to, to miss that, that the lamb that they would eat, that was part of the meal. It was broken, they ate it. What's this about the blood? Why the blood? You see, this is a covenant, an agreement that Jesus is bringing between God and all who want it. And all covenants have to be ratified. They're made legal and binding by the shedding of blood. So it's the whole understanding of the ancient world. In the Old Testament, it was all the blood of the animal sacrifices, but they could not remove sin. Like I said before, they pointed forward to the time when the perfect Lamb of God would offer up his life. And his blood would enable a covenant of grace to be made between a holy God and, and anyone who wants it, us people who've messed up and stuff. Okay. Um, just a little point there. Like I said, the lamb was a key element in the meal and the lamb of God was present. So there's that beautiful picture there. Let's think about God's desire for relationship. Come back to that word. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Remember again, all the meals that Luke has mentioned, welcoming the last and the least. All those people who had messed up, who had been rejected because of their lifestyle or because of mistakes they had made. They'd been pushed to the edge of society because they were, they were sick and unacceptable. All those people who were carrying guilt, feeling they could never be forgiven. They weren't part of the temple system. All the forgiveness that Jesus talked about, they were not just empty words, just to sort of, oh, just forget it and move on. You see, there's a price to be paid for sin. There's always a price to be paid for sin before a holy God. And all those people could be invited into the kingdom because God had a plan to deal with the sin. The plan that was revealed in this meal through the blood of Christ, through his broken body. Paul states this clearly, Romans 3, 20, um, 23, 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, paying the price for, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. There is, that's why this all makes sense. That's why it, it, was the, it is the good news for those who are broken and far from God. His brokenness is the way that we can receive wholeness. His sacrifice opens the way for our relationship with God to be made secure. Next bit about relationship, Christ values relationship and he attends to them. Look at verse 21. He noticed something amazing here. He has just said about the new covenant, and then he says, but I'm gonna be betrayed. You can almost feel the pain. You can feel the pain that Christ felt that he was betrayed by a friend. It's an eternally significant moment, but he's looking out for his disciples going to deal with this now. He states that one is about to betray him and then he listens as the others, they start off talking about, oh, who could do that? Who could do that? And again, so quickly, it becomes a chat, an argument about who is the greatest. Can you, it, it, this is almost comic, isn't it? Jesus just said that I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be broken. And they are back into their who is the greatest thing. It's happened so much in the gospels. We've looked at it before. 
But when he talks to them in verse 28, he doesn't tell them off. He actually praises them for being with him. He points out what true leadership is. Come to that. But he says in verse 28, you've stuck with me through some hard times. He values their relationship. He values their friendship. He uses the covenant meal to state how important it is that those people stuck with him through hard times. Imagine hearing Jesus say that to you, especially when you've just been a bit of an idiot and been going on about how great you are. And he says, you stuck with me. What a beautiful thing. That's how Jesus values relationships, personal relationships, relationships that mean something. And then he tells them, or just before that, when he's talking about leadership, he talks about true leadership. What is it? What is true leadership? It's to serve, to be the last, not put yourself first, not to climb to the top, but to serve, to take relationships seriously. Okay, it's going to start to bring this to an end now. Another quick look at the idea of relationships on a personal and community sort of level. So this personal aspect of the relationship with God, first of all, because of what Jesus did, we can each have a relationship with God by the Holy Spirit. We can receive personal salvation, the walk with God, forgiveness from sin, and the power to, leave, to, to live, as Jesus put it, a life to the full in the, in the Holy Spirit. But what about the relationships to each other? Ah, that's the tricky bit, isn't it? Sometimes it's a lot easier to think about our relationship with God. I got on great with God. It's the others that I have a problem with. What does the Lord's Supper mean for us as followers of Jesus? Okay. So I'm going to finish now by looking at, at communion. What I want to do is sort of take the Last Supper and what does it mean to us as Christians in terms of communion? The early church only had this meal which they celebrated in houses every week. They didn't have priests or temples or buildings. It must have been a very weird religion. That's why it had a lot of flack. They really misunderstood it. It just had a table, a meal, and a reminder. This is what it's about. Talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. Hallelujah. What a vision. But is it just to remember? Is it simply an act of just remembering? Is it like just a memory aid? Perhaps when Christ said, do this in memory of me, it was not just about the remembering of that. It was also doing what he was doing, laying our lives down for each other. Perhaps that is part of the do this. Lay your lives down for one another. Put each other first. I think this is why Paul gave the Corinthians such a hard time in his first letter to them. In communion, when they came together, they were doing their own thing and they weren't looking out for each other. You read the communion section, I'll let it set up. You see, their, their meals were exacerbating the differences between them, not reducing them. The rich came with their food and had a great time. They let the poor have whatever. They'd they be in separate rooms. I won't go into the detail now, but they'd have the room where they ate, and if it wasn't room in there, so they're going to be on a party in one bit and getting drunk. That's what he says, getting drunk. You've got loads. You're getting, you're getting almost sick with food. There's people who've got nothing. You're not looking out for each other. That's an extreme example. How does that work out in church life? I could give that to you as homework, but I won't be around to receive it back. So you need to have a think about how that works. 
So if it is an important part of fellowship, communion, what is the purpose of communion? Now, this is just my thoughts on this. This is not out of a great study or, you know, read, read, you know, the Baptist book on this. I just want to share some stuff. First of all, it's about perspective. It gives a past, a present and a future perspective. We look back to the cross and the finished work of Jesus. Hallelujah. We acknowledge the present reality of Christ through his Holy Spirit. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. And we look forward to the new kingdom that is coming in all of its revealing, in all of its glory. Kingdom is here. The fullness is coming when Christ returns. Okay, so that's the first thing. It gives you perspective. You need that in life. Secondly, it's an opportunity to restate together the covenant of faith that we have with each other and with God. As individuals and as a community, we acknowledge our, afresh our faith in him and our gratitude for the covenant sealed in his blood. Number three, there's four of these. Number three, to reflect in our gathering for communion the truth that we are all one and equal in Christ. And that's a practical thing. That's not just some theological mumbo jumbo. That is expressing that, that we are one. We are there for each other all in the fellowship, all in community. And then finally, we allow the Holy Spirit to search us and reveal anything that we need to confess. That's an individual and a corporate thing if we've got issues with one another. And that's what Paul is very strong on. It is literally communion, if you take it straight out of the Last Supper, is it literally a God-given, God-ordained opportunity to reassess, to refresh, and to reestablish relationships with God and each other. And that's a good note to finish on. So uh, I'm just going to pray over that word. Father, would you just filter it, Lord? Would you just take out what's not of you? Would you bless whatever in there is of you that you want to share with people? I pray, Father, for all those watching, you give a new understanding of what it of what you did, what, what the Last Supper was about, of what Jesus did, of the covenant that we have, the agreement that we have. Do you welcome us as sinners to come through that way, to come through Jesus to you? I pray for Christians who are feeling worn out and, and fed up and lost, that you would bless them, Father, in Jesus' name, and you would refresh them with your Holy Spirit. And I pray for churches, they would gather on the communion table and understand afresh what you did and what it is to be there for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.